0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, this this morning we're going to be looking at the last few verses of First John. We're going to finish up the the book today. Uh, I entitled this "That You May Know." That's uh, that's John's purpose. That's his entire purpose. It was his purpose in writing his gospels. His purpose in writing First John that you may know. Um, and he's gonna he's gonna give us the things that he wants us to make sure we know. But uh, uh, that's that's kind of where we are now. The formal teaching of John concluded in five twelve. Uh, Thirteen is a transitional verse that takes us from twelve to fourteen. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And basically, uh, what he is doing here. Is he's bringing the book to a conclusion, and he's giving us important uh, uh, elements of our salvation that we should be completely aware to, aware of and assured of. Uh, these are verses; these verses and the words that he uses here are assurance words. That's that's his focal point here: that you know, uh, that you know absolutely is is actually the idea here, uh, and uh, he has thus far. Throughout the book, he has given us what some authors call tests, or 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 ways in which you can know if you are in the faith or someone is not in the faith. And so, and and of course, he is in the course of doing that. He's doing that so that it's so that we can identify those false teachers that he calls antichrist uh, through uh, uh, basically knowing who God is and understanding who Jesus Christ is. And the primary the primary heresy is to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. That's that's the primary theme that runs through this. Jesus is God. That if you take nothing else away from the book of 1 John, that's the what you, that's the takeaway that John <laughs> John wants us to fully understand so at any any rate uh, um, as we come into this uh, as we come into this we're going to look at uh, that you would know that you have eternal life that you would know that prayer is answered that you would know that sin is defeated and that you would know that Christ is God those are the the primary four things that John is going to focus on in this final text um well, before I get into the text, I probably should make a couple of public service announcements so that you know what's going on. Uh, next next week, uh, there, the Sunday school will be combined in the auditorium with everybody because we're having a missionary, uh, and we'll be taking the Sunday school hour. The following week, we're taking off because the next that saturday is mark's wedding so i'm going to be transporting relatives back to airports and things so at any rate at any rate uh, those are the next two weeks and then uh my plan from there is to start first john uh, second john and then do third john i want to go through those those two books probably will take about six weeks the middle of may uh Barring any interruptions, uh, which seem to be frequent, uh, we we uh, we will be somewhere in May. We'll probably finish up those books. Uh, from there, I just ask your prayers as as where we go and and uh, what we do from there. So at any rate, that's up uh, that's uh, uh, that's kind of the an- announcements for the for the morning. But just remember, next week everybody's in the auditorium because uh, because we the Carnes are going to be here. So. So that's uh that's that's next week. So as we begin we're going to look first of all at uh, to know that you have eternal life. John in chapter 5 verses uh, 11 and 12 as he finished that section he said he said this he says and this is the witness that God has given us eternal life and that this life is in his son and he who has the son has life and he who does not have the son does not have life. That's just a flat out <laughs> statement believers Currently possess, that this is current possession, are the verbs that are used here. They mean this, this is yours as of now. And, um, well, as of the moment you are saved, actually. But at any rate, uh, you currently possess eternal life, and anyone who is not of G has not put their faith in Jesus Christ, does not have life. That's, that's, that's a flat, that's the flat out statement that John is making here. And, and so the, verse 13 then becomes a verse that could either tie with 12, because it really, it really concludes 12, but it also introduces 14. It's another one of those transitional verses that John uses throughout the book. And he says, there are these things I've written to you, that you might believe in the name of the Son of God, and that you would know that you have eternal life. Uh, so he he's he's introducing the next part of the section, and he's and he's and he's concluding twelve. So this is a conclusion verse, and it's and it's one of the that you might know verses that that goes throughout this uh, this section in fact this word no is going to be used used six times this word no is going to be used six times there's another no later in the book that's a different word but nevertheless this one is going to be used six times in these first in these verses so he, he transitions here uh, from 12 into 14 through 21 as he as he as he as he uses this as he uses this verse 13 and he's and he says these things are written to you. Basically, these things refer back to to uh to uh, uh, third, uh, Eleven and twelve, uh, that that you have eternal life, because the subject here is still eternal life. That's the subject. So the these th- these things refer back uh, back to verse twelve. He who has the son has life, and he who does not have the son does not have life. That's that's what it refers back to. Uh, the verse twelve is written in the second person, and verse verse thirteen is written in the first person. So there is obviously a transition here, he's moved from, from uh, who he is writing about and who he is writing, well not who he's writing to but he's, 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 he's transitioned he's basically saying, and the other one here's the general general teaching is this, is if you have the son you have life, if you don't have the son you don't have life, and then at 13 he's saying, these things I have written to you you believers—that's—that's—that's that's, that's the point here. That you would know. That's—that's that's what he's—that's what he's emphasizing, as as he as he as he comes into this text. In four one, excuse me. In one <laughs> not Peter. In one four, John wrote, "For by these he has." Oh, I'm still in Peter. Here we go. Here we go. Four, and these things I'm writing to so that your joy may become com- complete. That's the first thing he says uh, throughout this book. He's telling us why he's reading and he's saying, uh, writing, and he's saying that your joy may be full. And here he is saying that you would know you have eternal life. And basically John and capsulated in these sections is saying the joy of eternal life is ours in Jesus Christ that's 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 what he's wanting us to understand that's what he's wanting us to know Uh, And he writes, he writes his epistle in the same way. He concludes the epistle, not the epistle, but the gospel of John in the same way. In chapter 20, verse 31 of the gospel of John, he says this, but these things I write, I've written to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you would have life in his name, Uh, same purpose. It's, that's the idea here. He's giving us his purpose, that you would know you have eternal life. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, <clears throat> the, both, both the epistle and the gospel want us to understand that believe and be saved and know it. That's, that's what he's saying to us. That's, that's the idea that he's expressing. He makes clear what the basis of salvation is, is believing who Jesus Christ is and placing your faith in him. That's, 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 the, that's the, the rudimentary, uh, I think you could say it that way, that's the rudimentary concept behind salvation. Believing who Jesus Christ is, the son of God and putting your faith in Him for salvation. That's the idea here. He says, those who believe in the name of the Son, which once again attacks the false teaching of the Gnostics. This whole book was written around the backdrop of an emerging heresy called Gnosticism. And that Gnostic concept uh, did, could not tolerate the idea that God became man. They came up with various scenarios to explain it away. Uh, he, was a, he was a disembodied spirit that was here, but floating around, kind of a ghost, if you will. Uh, another one was that he was a spirit that came on a guy named Jesus, who was born to Mary and Joseph at, at his baptism and left before the crucifixion was complete. Either of those, there is no salvation. There is no salvation because there was no substitutionary death. There was no payment. There was no ransom price paid for our sin in either of those concepts. So so John has been dealing with that in chapter 2, verse 19. He wrote, they went, and he's speaking of, of those Gnostics... Primarily, they went out from us that they were not really of us. For if they were were of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that then manifested, so that so that it would be manifested that they are not of us. In other words, he's saying they're not part of us. They never were. They never will be. That's that's the idea here. And, and three twenty one tells us that we have to believe in, or not three twenty one, three twenty three tells us we have to believe in faith, which is guaranteed then. I haven't been having been given the gift of the Holy Spirit Ephesians 1 that's the idea you believe in his name that's where you put your faith you believe in who Je- and by saying that you believe in the whole person of who Jesus is you believe him to be God of very God that's that's the idea here God the son come in the flesh Emmanuel that's 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 the that's the the the, uh, the backdrop here he's saying you have eternal life I want you to know it, that's what he's saying here, that you may know you have eternal life. Once again, this particular word for know is used six times in this, in this portion of the epistle. Uh, it's, a, it's not the word know we've been seeing through the, the epistle, which has to do with learning, growing, experiencing, any of that kind of thing. This is an absolute knowing. It's an almost intuitive concept. This you know down in your bones is the idea of this word. It's not acquired knowledge through study, but characterized by certainty and assurance. And this means you know it. There's no shaking this. There's no, there's no added to or subtracted from. You know it. That's 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 what he's wanting you to do. It's a it's it's a confidence expressed and and uh, uh, it's an absolute knowing that's that's what he's that's what he's wanting us to, to, to understand. And that's the word he's going to use through this text to know, know with certainty, know with absoluteness that you have eternal life. Have is a possessive word. It's, it's, it's the idea of certainty. Uh, something you possess, it's, it's yours. You have it, and it's eternal life. And incidentally, it is it is it is present possession. It's not future tense. It's present possession. And then he says, eternal life. That's what you know that you have. And of course, eternal life is not so much duration, although it is duration. It's forever and ever. But it's quality of life. It's where that life will be spent. It's a life shared in Christ's life, who is, in fact, eternal life. John, 1 John 5.20, it is the completion of our adoption as sons, Romans 8.23. And John says, I want you to know that with certainty. I want there to be no doubt in the, the deepest, remotest parts of your being, you are to know this with absoluteness. That's, that's, that's what he's wanting them to, to know. And then secondly, <clears throat> he says, know that prayer is answered. Verses 14 through 17. And we're going to look at 14 and 15 first, and then 16 and separate uh, 17, 16 and 17. Uh, thereafter, So we'll deal with the first two verses and then the second two. It's all part of prayer, however. All of it is about answered prayer. So he begins in the first part. He says, And this is the confidence which we have before them, him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the, uh, we have the, request, the request which we have asked for from him. Uh, a greatly misused verse. So we want to. We kind of want to look at this and see what it says. It says it's a general statement about prayer. He says anything. Basically, it says you can ask anything. You have permission to do so. You can ask, and he says, and, and he says, uh, he says you're to do it with confidence. That's 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 the idea here. For the believer, he is to be confident in coming to God. We've seen this word before in First John. John's used it a few times. Uh, it's, its root meaning is freedom of speech, and it means you're free to speak before God. That's that's what it means. In other places, in, like in Acts fourteen, four, uh, excuse me, in Acts four 3, it, it, this word is translated boldness. It speaks of the boldness with which we can approach God. And and in in Acts twenty eight thirty one, it's spoken of as being openness. In other words, we can be open before God. In other words, we can be real before Him. We can be us. We can come to Him. We can come to Him with anything and be confident that He will hear us. That's, that's what this is saying. And it's before Him literally means in His presence. The idea that we have confidence to be to boldly bring our request before God, Ephesians chapter three, verse twelve. Uh, we can draw near to the throne of grace, Hebrews four sixteen. That's what the that's what he's saying here. This is the confidence we can have—a bold, confident uh, openness before our God. That's that's what he's that's what he's saying. And then he says he says when we come with our request before him, asking anything confidently. He hears us. He listens to us. I don't know if you thought about that. I mean, I read it and I think, "Oh, yeah, that's cool." But the God of the universe listens to me? You know, he hears me. And I wonder, why does he bother? But he does. This is the promise here. This is the promise. But there is one condition. There is one condition on it being answered. And and that condition is that it's according to His will. Jesus prayed this way. Uh, Jesus could be our example here. He prayed according to the will of God. Uh, Matthew twenty six thirty nine at Gethsemane. He was deeply disturbed to the point that he 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 bled. Uh, He's he's he dropped drops of blood in the anguish that he went through in facing in facing the cross. Holy God incarnate was going to take on the sins of the world. He who was knew no sin was totally without sin. We can't even fathom what that meant to him, what the torment of that was. But ultimately, he says, not my will, but your will. And that's how we're to pray. We're to understand that God, according to His will, is going to answer. And we need to be in accord with His will. In fact, that's what prayer should do. It should bring us in accord with the will of God. <clears throat> Secondly, our prayer request should bring glory to God. What we pray for should be be things that are going to glorify Him. John 14. John fourteen verse thirteen. Whatever um, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do. This I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's that's the idea here. Our prayers, our prayers, and our requests are to bring glory to God. And so, and and then also James four three tells us that our requests, when they're not answered, are because we've prayed incorrectly. We've we've prayed with wrong motivations, and that very often can be true. Incidentally, this verse kind of destroys the whole name it and claim it um, crowd, you know, because it basically says that you would consume them of your own lust or pleasure, you know, and that's what their whole thing is, you know. I need a new Cadillac, you know. Well, I might need a car to get around in, but does it have to be a Rolls Royce? I mean, you know. That's the idea. We pray with the wrong motives. James four three. Uh, the uh, the King James the New King James says uh, amiss, which is a good word. The, the word means the, the word actually means it actually means a uh, wrong, incorrect, or bad. God isn't going to answer a prayer that will be bad for you. That's 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 the point here. And if if the prayer isn't within His will it's going to be bad for you. That's, that's, that's the idea here. He gives us only what is good for us. James, chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 17, says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow. That's the idea here. God isn't going to answer a prayer just because you ask for something when he knows it's ultimately going to give you harm. He's only going to answer prayers that are going to be good for you. That are only going to, that are going only going to draw you closer that will bring glory. Those are those are the ideas here. But it says he hears us. We can have confidence. He listens and he hears. That that's the idea here. That he listens and he hears and he and he answers when it's when it's prayed with accordance to his will. Verse 15 goes on, he goes on to say, and saying, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the the request which we have asked for from him. And so, he's basically saying here, once again, we know that in, that intuitive, intensive assurance that he hears us He's not just aware, but He actually hears. He actually listens. That's, that's the idea here. And, and uh, we know that the request will be provided if they're in accordance with His will. Those are, those are the things that are, that are testified to here in, in Scripture. These are the things that John wants you to know. This, those are the things he wants you to know. We pray according to His will. Uh, uh, first of all, it requires being saved. God might answer the prayer of an unsafe person, it, it might happen he has no obligations to even listen to them but he might, he certainly will pray or certainly will answer when it's a prayer to receive salvation, that's kind of a transitional point but, but, but he has no obligation but he, is, but he has obligated himself to you if you're a believer that's, that's, that's the point here uh, God has obligated to to listen to and answer in accordance with His will those who are His. It requires confessed sin. That's a requirement. Uh, Psalm 66.18, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. There's a block. You put up a roadblock if you're in a condition of sin and you're not confessed it and you're not dealing with it uh, uh, God won't listen at that point it's, noticed in, it's noted in 14 praying according to God's will is in, in his name to glorify him Matthew 6.10 uh, not according to our selfish desires James 4, uh, 4, 3, but, uh <clears throat> but answered prayer Fills us with joy, John sixteen, twenty two through twenty two through twenty three. Twenty two he says. There f- twenty two through twenty sixteen. Yeah. Therefore, uh, you too have sorrow, but now I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take the joy away from you. And on that day, you will not question me about anything. In other words, he's saying, when we are with Jesus, we will, we will ultimately be filled with joy. Our prayer is, come Lord Jesus, ultimately. And then he moves on to verse 16 and 17. And these, uh, these verses have quite a bit of controversy. Uh yeah. I'm so sorry to interrupt. On the the in this translation in 15 it uses that word no twice. Is it the same strong no? Yeah, it uses it twice in in right? the in the LSV. It uses okay. it twice. It's the same no. It is that same. Yeah, uh, it, it's until we get to uh no. until we get to I forgot now. Until we get to verse twenty. Okay. It's the same no. The no in twenty is different. We'll talk okay. about it when we get there. But it's the same no all the way through. It's okay. that it's that assured, absolute, down to your gut you know it. Okay. That 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 kind of a thing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Verse sixteen. Uh verse sixteen and seventeen have some controversy. There's debate over uh over exactly uh what they uh what, what is going on here and what it means and who it is that it's being talked about. Uh, we're going to take it a little more general, but nevertheless it's actually talking about intercessory prayer at this point. But it's going to give a, a very interesting example as we move through this. It says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those... Uh, and God will give him... give his life to those who com- uh, commit uh, sin not leading to death there is a sin leading to death I do not say that we should make requests for this all unrighteousness is a sin and there is a sin that leads to death okay that's the big problem he keeps using this phrase a sin that leads to death now all sin leads to death death is a result of sin that's how death that's how sin brought death into the world if you will and, and, and he's saying here, he's, so he's moving from general prayer to intercessory prayer. The point is here uh, that we should pray for our brothers when we see them in any kind of moral difficulty. Uh, that, that's, that's what it says here. Uh, um, that's, that's the idea here, James 5.20. My brother uh, well 19 my brother if any any among you stray from the truth and one turns him back; let him know that he he has turned a sinner from the error of his error of his ways. Uh, ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So here here is here is the point: it's to be intercessory prayer. Uh, John is telling us that a part of our responsibility as believers is to look out for one another, pray for one another when we see them caught in a fault, and and uh, uh, and that's the. That's the primary idea here is the primary idea here is that of intercessory prayer. We, we are to intercede with God on behalf of our brothers and but then he goes on and he, and he says he says, if he's not committing a sin that leads to death, uh, there are times there are times that uh, uh, that ultimately, someone dies in their sin. Uh, The question now is, is he talking about a believer, or is he talking about an unbeliever? And there is massive debate. I hear one commentator, he went three pages trying to tear the language apart to make sure you understood it was a non-believer. And then the next commentator, he just blew that all away, and he did the same thing on why it's a believer. So... MacArthur, he says, it's kind of ambiguous, so it could be either way, you know. Well, that's kind of the truth here because it happens both ways. I think. Uh, in fact, I think I've actually seen it. I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but at any rate, he says, he says, committing a sin. There's no article here. It does. It isn't identifiable. It's any sin. That's the idea here. He, he doesn't specify a sin. Now, some commentators say, well, the guys in John's day knew what that sin was. But the language doesn't support that. It says any sin. That's what it says. Uh, that he's committing a sin. Uh, John, and, and maybe John's readers did understand what it is, but we, we only know that it's sin. And, and he goes on to say, don't make a request for that sinning brother. Well, quite frankly... We know full well that praying for the dead is a waste of time. Eternity is sealed once this life stops. You you can't pray people into heaven or out of hell or or anything else. That can't be done. Uh, so you know the you know I you know the Mormons. You know why they do all that genealogy. You know why they do that, don't you? Don't they have like a like a person limit on heaven or something? Well, well, that's the one. They got levels, and uh, there's so many different people go here and there and that kind of thing. But basically, is if you got a Mormon relative, they're probably praying you out of hell. That that's the idea. They're praying that even if you're even already dead, that you could you could go to their lower form of heaven. That's the idea. It's the same thing. It's the same thing with the Catholics' view of purgatory. Of trying to pray you out of purgatory by the work of the saints, you know, that some of them did more than it was enough to balance the scale so they can borrow some for you, is the idea here. But that's all a waste of time. The 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 uh, the idol worshipers of John's day also prayed for the dead. Uh, Paul or Paul says something about that in, in Corinthians, where he talks about, where he says, why did they pray for the dead? In other words, he's not saying that you should. He's saying, why did they pray for the dead if they don't believe there's life after death? That, that was the point. And, and so, so here he's saying, if they're already dead, don't be praying for them. However, uh, <clears throat> well, for, there are There are some examples. Uh, if it's an unbeliever, there there are some examples of unbeliever, and ultimately the death of an unbeliever, and their as an unbeliever is is that they have totally and finally once they stop breathing have rejected Jesus Christ. That's 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 what that's what condemns them. They never receive Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the sin uh, sin is in a present tense, and it basically means sinning a sin they're in the process of doing a sin it's used elsewhere in first uh, in first john 3, uh, three 4, uh, and 6 and 8 and in 518 to describe the habitual sin that characterizes unbelievers so it's talking about habitual sin it's not talking about maybe a one-time sin it's talking about a habitual sin but an unbelie- an unbeliever you understand that all unbelievers can do is sin that's what they do uh, believers, on the other hand, have the ability not to sin. That's that's the big difference. Uh-oh, we got spies from Israel coming into Canaan here. Yeah, this guy. There's there's a there's there's Caleb. <laughs> he didn't get the grapes though. <laughs> There we go. There we go. <laughs> take take the thing. Take it. Take it with you. Okay. Cool. <laughs> All right. Okay. I forgot where I was. In the last. If I Apparently. If unbeliever. Oh, anyway, it's it's habitual sin is the idea here. And, And incidentally, it doesn't mean they die instantly. I understand that, because in, in the New Testament, in Matthew 12, 31 through 20, uh, 32, where we have the unforgivable sin, which could only be committed while Jesus was incarnate, uh, where you can, where, where the, the Jewish leadership, some of the Jewish leadership accused Jesus of performing his miracles uh, by the work of Satan. Uh, so that was a very particular unforgivable sin, but those guys didn't die immediately, they died and they went to hell, but they didn't die immediately. However, sometimes it could be immediate. For example, Acts 12, 20 through twenty three. King Herod comes out onto his portico in his all of his fancy array, and the people cheer him on and call him God, call him like God, and he accepts the worship. And God was like- and he busts open with worms. I talked through Matthew one time in the other church that we went to. I'm going to tell him Mark. <laughs> and I studied this text. And I got all the gruesome details of what actually happened to him. And I decided, no, nah, I'm not going there. I'm not going to explain all of this. Margaret's husband, Mark, who is a science teacher, explained it in great detail. And he did it just very calm and perfectly and every iota of the science behind it all. Mm-hmm. And half my class was sick and didn't listen to another word I said. Uh, and the rest of us were fascinated. Yeah, and the rest were fascinated. So anyway, and didn't listen to what I said anymore because they were more interested in that. So <laughs> so we're not going there now. Oh, no, no, no. That's, he, that's my buddy. So <laughs> it's like, Okay. But he died instantly. If it's a believer, if it's a believer, do we have any examples of that? Well, yes, we do. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira lied. They had no oblig the interesting thing about their whole deal is they had no obligation to sell their property and give any of it to anybody. It was theirs. They could do whatever they wanted with it. However, everybody else was selling their property and giving it to the apostles to care for care for all the people because Basically what had happened, we had all these massive amounts of new believers, some of which didn't live in Jerusalem. Many of those who were Jewish had lost their family and jobs because they became Christians, and so they had to be cared for. And people were selling stuff and selling their stuff to care, care, for, care for everyone. Annas and Sapphira sold their stuff, but they only gave part of it and said they gave it all. They lied. And when they were confronted with their lie... They confirmed their lie and dropped dead. Which basically is kind of like Achan and his, his uh, um, it's the New Testament version of Achan. When God starts a new work, he sets his standard. And his standard is truth and honesty and sinlessness. So, so we, have, we have that example. But then we also have a second example. And I think this one, kind of follows, uh, it follows along uh, pretty well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.30, where, where Paul confronts the Corinthians with their abuse of the communion table. And he basically says, well, some of you are weak, and some of you are sick, and some of you have fallen asleep, meaning they died. In other words, God killed them because they abused the Lord's table. Uh, because it's a sacred time. It's a very sacred time. So, it could apply either way. But ultimately what it says is, don't waste your time praying for somebody if this is where they are. That's what he's telling them here. And apparently, it may have been a little more common than than we see it today, although it may still be common today. When... Um, I, some of you know this story, but when, when I was uh, at uh, West Park uh, Baptist Church, the, uh, which was a conservative Baptist church, uh, we had a man in that church who, uh, he was a retired, uh, retired uh, military officer. He was one of these guys that was over six feet tall, stood very straight, he had a full head of silver hair. He walked in the room. He had presence. Mm-hmm. You know, people just automatically had some, and he had it. And he basically had that military bearing of command authority. And he uh, he maneuvered himself into positions within CBA, Conservative Baptists of America, with the non-denomination denomination. Uh, that's what well, they were. That's what they were. You know, and. Uh, 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 and he got on different boards and things there, and he used that. And he then used, because this was a typical Baptist church where there was the uh, pastor and the deacons and you voted on everything. You know, it was Americanism, democracy, you know. And he used that to force his way onto the deacon board, even though the church really had never put him there before. He didn't belong there. He was not spiritually qualified man. But he used his position within CBA that he had had attained to do that. And once he was on the board, he started undermining everything because he wanted to get rid of the pastor. That was the main thing. And the reason he wanted to get rid of the pastor is Pastor Wells was a a THM out of Dallas in the days when Dallas was the school. And uh, he basically would not marry a divorced Christian. And this guy and the lady he married were both Christians who were divorced. And he refused to marry him. And because of that, he went after him. He wanted vengeance. That's what it amounted to. And he succeeded. Pastor Wells resigned. And the chairman of the deacon board resigned. And this idiot who had got elected to the, to the deacon board was the vice chairman because they didn't have anything else to do with me. And now I had the whole church dumped in my lap with this guy. And uh, uh, that was uh, church leadership 101 for me. Uh, but, at any, but at any rate, at any rate, this went on. He kept on. He was after other people in the church as well. And some points, a few months into this, he got cancer. He, he'd had a physical and he was perfectly well. A month later, he had cancer. And he was in the hospital and they operated and they said, oh, we got it all. And myself and the associate pastor went to see him. It was a very awkward, awkward time, but, you know, went to see, see him to pray for him and that kind of thing. And he came back. He came back and he was, uh, he came to the board meeting and he started it all over again. He started the same crap all, excuse me, but he started it all over again. Myself and, and the associate pastor tried to confront him on the issue and try to bring some peace and harmony. And he stood up in the deacon's meeting and said, no one will ever force me off this board. He was dead in two weeks with cancer in every major organ in his body. I believe this is that case. You know what? God will allow thousands of mistakes, innocent, honest mistakes by inept leaders, but he will not tolerate willfulness in touching the church of Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. That's the sin of death. Or the sin of death. Leads to death. death. Thank you. I can't even remember my own text. Anyway, that's what I believe. Anyhow. And then he goes on in verse 17, and he says, he says in verse 17, he says, all righteousness is sin, all unrighteousness is sin. Uh, and there is a sin that leads, and, and there is sin that leads not to death. In other words, and all of you know that, because I suspect all of you sometime during this last week, I know I'm guilty of it, probably sin someplace, and you're not dead yet. So, okay. <laughs> what? Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and 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 John would have in and, in and, and chapter three, verse four, uh, John wrote wrote that everyone. Who does sin does lawlessness? Sin is lawlessness. So he just reaffirms that in verse seventeen. Sin is lawlessness. That's what it means. And then he goes on, and he goes on, and, he, and, and it's an affront to God, uh, and it needs to be confessed. That's why 1 John one nine is there. Uh, Psalms thirty two five. It needs to be forsaken. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. It needs to be mortified. Romans Romans eight thirteen and Colossians uh, Colossians five. Sin needs to be put to death in our lives. In other words, we need to forsake. It, we need to ask, we need to confess it, we need to forsake it, and we need to kill it within our lives. Those are, those are the things Scripture calls us to do. But he says, not every sin is a, is, calls for immediate termination of the, of, of the unbeliever or the believer, for that matter, uh, because God is patient, Second Peter chapter three verse, uh, verse eight. And he forgives. He forgives and restores. First, First John one nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us from our sins and and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then, then he goes on, um, he goes on, and he he wants us to know in verses eighteen and nineteen that know that sin is defeated because we are in God. And he goes and he here he says, we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who uh, he who has been Gotten of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are we are of God and that with the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And simply what he is saying here, John uses these absolute terms, but the verbs here make it inter make it clear. This doesn't mean that if if you sinned, you're not a believer. What it means is Believers don't live in a, in a state of habitual sin. That's, that's what John is saying here. You don't live in a state of habitual sin. And, and he says, we know this. It's an internal, intuitive knowledge. It's an assured knowledge. It's an absolute knowledge. Uh, <clears throat> it literally reads, everyone who's born of God is not sinning, is literally the way the Greek reads. In other words, we don't live in a habitual state of sin if we're a believer. We may sin from time to time. That's why First John one nine is there, uh, but but that's not not. It, it's the exception. That's the idea here. Uh, Three nine, he wrote. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. So if you've been born again, you don't live in a world of habitual sin. Plummer, in his commentary, put it this way. A child of God may sin, but his normal condition is one of resistance to sin. Now that's, that's what John is saying, saying in, this, in this text. Uh, the believer's life is not characterized by sinning, but it's not sinless perfection. Otherwise, and John makes that clear in this book, because he wrote in John, in John uh, 1, uh, starting in verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's the point here. Our life is not characterized by sin if we're a believer, but if we do, we have an advocate, and we're to confess it. And and he is faithful to forgive us. That's 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 what this text is saying. That's what he wants us to understand here. One commentator wrote this: He says, Sin has been disposed from being a voting citizen, being a foreigner. In the, in, the, uh, in the life of the believer. I thought, well, that's kind of okay maybe a few years ago, but if we apply it to our country today, that doesn't work so well because they're wanting to let everybody vote. <laughs> but sin is not a voting citizen in the kingdom. That's the idea here. Romans 6, 17, uh, 17 through 21. But thanks be to God that though we were slaves to sin you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were uh, were given over and have been freed from sin you became slaves to righteousness i'm speaking in term, human terms because of the weakness of your flesh for just as you present your presented your members members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to further lawlessness so now present your 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 members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification that's 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 what that's what John is also saying here. That's where we are to live, and he and he says he goes on to say he goes on to say he he who is begotten of God, and uh, he who is born of God, and he is begotten of God keep him. The idea is, the one born of God is the believer, the begotten of God is Jesus Christ, and what it is saying here, we live in a state of safety because of Jesus Christ. He keeps the believer. Uh, Jesus, the begotten, past tense of believer, the born, present tense. In other words, you today are kept by Jesus Christ. That's that's what he's wanting you to know. That's what you're to to be assured of. Uh, That's to be your assurance of your salvation. You are kept by Jesus Christ. And the evil one does not touch him. Evil one is equal to Satan in this text. And touch is an interesting word. The English word touch means, you know, that's not what this word means. That's not at all what this word means. This word means to lay hold of. It means to grasp, to grip, to cling to. I put it this way, Satan can't get his hooks into you. He can't latch on to you. That's what, that's what this says. Satan can't do that. He can't latch on to the believer. That's because of Jesus Christ. Believers are no longer under his control. They have been rescued from the domain of darkness. Colossians 1.3 And never to be fastened back to, his, to Satan's domain, Jesus keeps the redeemed. John 10. John 10:28, 2 Timothy 1:12, Jude 24 and 25. The concluding the concluding words to Jude's epistle. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy to our only God, our savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, might, and authority before all time and now and forever, Amen. Uh, that's the that's the uh, that's that's what he is that's what he is wanting us to know here. And then then he goes on in verse nineteen, and he says, "We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lo- lies in the power of the evil one." This is an interesting text because I looked it up. Uh, currently, according to the United Nations, there are 198 nations in the world. Scripture says there's two gods and satans that's all they're one or the other they may come under a different name 195 of them but they're all but they're all his scripture makes it clear that there are only two realms believers belong to god while the rest belong to satan in in, uh, in this world we're not part of it john 15 uh, 9 and 17 4 uh, we are children of God, according to John uh, John one twelve through three. We are aliens and strange, strangers. First Peter two ten. Citizens in heaven. Philippians three twelve. The other realm, the whole world, which means it's, which means the world system, its economic system, its government system, its social system, all all of those, its educational system, all of that stuff, all of that stuff, uh, is under the power of the evil one, and it is hostile. To God and his people. First uh, John 15, 18 and 19. Or not John, Gospel of John. To be a friend of the world is to make an enemy of God. Ultimately. James 4, 4. And then he goes on finally in verse 20, in his concluding words, and he says, And we know that the Son of God has come. And it brings us back to 4-1, which is how he began the whole the uh, the whole epistle uh, the whole epistle he began in 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 first John one one through four uh, what was from the beginning what we heard and what we have seen with our eyes and what we have beheld and touched with our hands concerning the word of life and the life was manifest. And we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And these things we are writing, so that your joy may, may be made complete. That's 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 what He wants us to understand here. That's that's where He's going, God. And and come is in a present tense. He has come and he is presently with us. That's the idea here. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ to reveal the Father to us. Luke 10, 22. Uh, Resulting in Jesus has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Understanding here means the capacity to understand uh, the result of, is the ability to know. The word know here is a different one. This one means to grow in knowledge. This is a different word. God has given us understanding so that we can continually grow in Jesus Christ. That goes on into eternity. We have all eternity growing in Jesus Christ. That's that's what this is that's what this is saying here. That's what he's explaining to us. And then he uses the word true three times. Jesus is the truth, the way, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, John four sixteen. And we and and we all are used to portray our relationship. Know that he is true, able to understand uh able to uh, we are able to understand and to grow in him he is true a position that Christ is the truth and it is true that and he is also the true god and he is truly eternal life christianity is to worship the true god in and through jesus christ his son who is god and eternal life john john 5:11 uh, and 22 and he says and then he goes on, and he says, he says, in verse 21, he adds this little note into it, and he says, little children, guard yourself from idols. It sounds like, you know, this is, this is very Pauline, right? You know, greetings from all of us. No, John just says, stay away from idols. And that's, that's the end. Stay away from idols. But it's very appropriate. It fits the text. He's just told us that we, are, uh, that we know that the Son, we are growing in the Son of Jesus Christ. He's given us the ability to understand the truth about Jesus Christ and to grow continually in Him. And He says, what will what'll, what'll foul that up? Messing with idols. In that day, idols were everywhere. Idols had always been a big problem. They're still a big problem. If you want to know the truth, he says, keep yourself from idols. God is a protector. Uh, In verse 18, God is the one who protects you. In verse 21, you have a responsibility toward that protection. Keep yourself away from places you're not supposed to be. He says, guard yourselves. It's a command, incidentally. It's a command to be watchful, to be vigilant, uh, to have diligence against, uh, uh, against something to capture our worship apart from God. We could list dozens of things that can do that and you can think of them Uh, in John's day it probably literally meant idols we don't have so much of that today although there was some uh, eastern people that lived down the street from us a ways and they turned their house into there were statuary worship things all over the place on big pedestals i think they were actually having services at that house and i think the city made them stop because it all got taken down but you know there's still idols are still around today kathy used to go and get her nails done at a place and these people had uh they were southeast asian and they had a Idol in there, and they uh, a Buddha, I, mean, I think it was a Buddha. I never went in there. I don't know. But anyway, they brought food for it every day. McDonald's. No wonder Buddha's so fat. But anyway, uh, but, you know, they brought, seriously brought food for this thing, you know. But anyway, uh, we're not to, we're to stay away from that kind of stuff. You know, you can worship anything. You can worship your career. You can worship money. You can worship. I know people that worship their yard, you know, And and on and on and on. All that stuff detracts. Anything that detracts you from worshiping Jesus Christ is an idol. That that's the idea here, and 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 basically, John is saying, God is your protector. You have a responsibility to keep your stuff, stuff keep yourself away from stuff that draws you away from Him. Second Peter one nineteen. And we have a more sure prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention, as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. And as John says in the closing words of his final book, the Revelation, "Come, Lord Jesus." Mm-hmm. Father God, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the time we've had to uh, to spend in the in the in the Gospel of First or the in the Epistle of First John. Uh, we thank you for this apostle and we thank you for his his love for all of us we thank you for his concern and we thank you for the use of for the Holy Spirit having used him to give us these words and may we, may we take them to heart, may we understand that Jesus, Jesus our Lord is God come in the flesh return to heaven and coming again and Lord we do pray with John, come Lord Jesus and Father uh, our salvation is based on the fact that he is the son of God, the living God, God, of very God. And we just ask, Lord, that we would honor you in all that we do and all that we say this day and every day forward. And we thank you in Jesus name. Amen.